Welcome to Podcast Hackers, the show for podcasters by podcasters. Here, each episode, you'll hear from the best and brightest podcasters and learn how they're growing their audience, monetizing their shows, and making an impact through podcasting. And now, your host, Craig Hewitt. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Podcast Hackers. In this episode, I'm joined by Srini Rao of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. Srini, how's it going? Hey, Craig. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. I've been following uh, what you guys do on the podcast for a while and really just wanted to to kind of jump in and and kind of learn more about kind of the ethos of of the brand. I think it's a little contrarian these days where folks are, you know, focused on kind of monetizing their podcasts through things like ads or membership, kind of subscriptions, things like that, where you're really uh, have been talking a long time about creating content and being creative just for you and and the kind of value that that brings to you personally. Before we get kind of too too far ahead of ourselves, would you mind kind of sharing with folks who aren't familiar with you and your and your show kind of what you guys are all about? Yeah, I think that, you know, so it's funny because Simon Sinek once told me that my why is that I am obsessed with people who are good at unusual things. And I think that if you look at the guests on Unmistakable Creative, that's a pretty clear reflection of that. I mean, our guests have ranged from bank robbers to drug dealers to billionaires, you know, all sort of with this theme of, you know, Unmistakable or or something that they're you know makes them very distinctive and interesting and, and fascinating and I think the whole idea of creative is one of those things that I think we gave a very sort of broad definition to the word creative and and we did that on purpose because we wanted to make sure that you know our focus was interesting people and I think that the problem is you know, nowadays you see a lot of like early podcasters like oh I want to get these like famous internet celebrities on my podcast because they're going to make me like grow and you know be really successful but they don't that's that's far the furthest thing from the truth I know this only because that was my thought process when we first started. And, you know, I, I got a, a rude awakening pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be the case. Yeah. So we ended up basically starting in 2009 as this podcast for bloggers and it kind of evolved. And, you know, today we have, you know, we've had, a, I think more than 700 guests. I, I think the best summary of what we do is what some, one of our listeners said, they said, if Ted talks meant Oprah, you'd have the unmistakable creative, which is like as flattering as it gets in terms of a compliment. But, you know, it was yeah. one of those things where we're like, yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, you couldn't, you know, it, it, and it, it makes sense in a lot of ways, um, just based on the nature of the content. And and it sounds like this was kind of an organic growth of like what originally was podcast.fm and then into the unmistakable creative. Was that kind of an intentional evolution on your perspective well, or on your end? Or was that something that was kind of grew? No, it got more intentional as time went on. I think it was one of those things where the more time we spent, like the more it became clear. Because I think that people have this idea when you start something, you're going to know exactly, you know, how it's all going to go. You're going to have this like plan. And I mean, life doesn't go according to plan. So it was, you know, largely accidental and organic. But I think what happened was with with that sort of organic growth, we started to become a lot more intentional about how, you know, how things were going. Do you think that's a reasonable thing for other people who are just starting out to to kind of follow that playbook to say, like, kind of follow your heart, create something that, that you like, and then once it gets some traction, you can figure out I'll say what to do with it from there, like how to how to make it a business, how to make it a real brand after it's kind of successful. Here's the thing, right? I think that if you go into it with this idea of, oh, I'm going to create something that is, you know, based on what I think will get a lot of downloads or what I think will be popular, you're going to make decisions based entirely on numbers right from the start. Now, is that going to work? It might. I mean, I I don't I don't subscribe to that philosophy. It's never worked for me. I mean, I wrote an entire book about why that's a terrible idea. I think that if you go and look at the earliest creators, you know, or the not even podcasters, but gener- generally like some of the most successful creators in the world, hell, Oprah, right? One of the things that Oprah did was she refused to compromise on her values when, you know, Donahue and some of these sort of crazy people were going up in the ratings. 
films and she could have basically produced trash television. Instead, she decided to stick to her guns and I think the results speak for themselves. I mean, she took a hit in the ratings in the short term. And so I think that, that that's kind of one of the, the things, we, you know, in the world we live in today, people don't have hobbies. Every hobby is a side hustle, you know. And so when, you know, you turn your hobby into a job, it kind of defeats the purpose of your hobby. And that's kind of a sad thing. So it's hard to say. I, I don't know that I have prescriptive advice for somebody who wants to start a podcast. I think that prescriptive advice is, is dangerous because the, the problem with all prescriptive advice is that it's formulaic. And the other problem with anything formulaic is there's one variable that throws off every formula for success. And that's the person who's applying the formula. So that's that's something to think about. So I think that you have to kind of go towards what you're naturally interested in, because there's going to be a period of time in which you're not going to see any traction and you're not going to see any results. So if like you're only doing this thing for some sort of external result, you're going to have a hard time staying motivated when you're not getting that result. Mm. The dip, right? So I know you've had Seth Godin on yeah. your podcast before. That's what kind of comes to mind when you talk about this time where you're you're creating what you want for your own sake, and it might not be kind of resonating with your audience yet. And, and the, the stick-to-itiveness to stay with that path, to see it through to the other side of this dip is is kind of where the people end up winning, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody, um, everybody starts with zero listeners. Every writer starts with zero readers. Every company starts with zero customers. You know this from starting a company. So I think that, you know, this sort of idea of I'm going to be, you know, famous or like some, you know, I'm going to be the next Joe Rogan, I'm going to plug a microphone into a laptop and all that's, you know, I don't think people see everything that comes before like these moments in the spotlight. So your book, An Audience of One, Reclaiming Creativity for Its Own Sake, is just over a year old, uh, so August of last year, 2018. How did the book come about and kind of how is it playing off what you're doing with a podcast? So, you know, the book and the podcast are kind of birds of a feather. You know, I, the book came about because I got a two-book deal with Penguin, and one of the, you know, books was about this idea of writing a thousand words a day. And, you know, we started to look at it, and it just started to evolve more and more into a book about not just, you know, writing, but a book about creativity in general. And so, as a result, you end up with sort of this idea of the value of creativity for its own sake. So, we're, we're in this interesting world where you can go from idea to execution at, at record pace, the thing that that brings also, though, is, is unrealistic expectations and impatience. So people think, oh, you know, I can start a podcast tomorrow. I can have everything up and running. I'm going to plug a microphone in. And by the end of the week, I'm going to have a million people listening to what I do. But that does not that's not how this works. And so, you know, the idea behind that book was really, hey, you know, if you start with yourself and it's kind of echoing what we just said, you know, we were talking about, you know, how should people start? But basically, you know, a lot of my ideas are often informed by my, my guests, you know, a lot of my thought process, a lot of my writing is inspired by the people that I interview. In fact, so much so that I'm right now in the process of pitching a new book proposal, you know, for a new idea that is as insane as a, you know, but friends seem to have really kind of struck when I've told it to people, they get a good sort of like, oh, yeah, that sounds hilarious and amazing and entertaining. So, you know, the new book idea is called This Might Not Work, What I've Learned from Field Testing the Life Advice from 700 Insanely Interesting People, as opposed to a book about sort yeah. of, you know, because if you look at most books in this genre, right, what they focus on is, is you know, distilling information. None of these books are about implementation or experimentation. You know, they're all prescriptive, saying, hey, you know, unlike, so the idea was not to give a prescriptive self-help book, but to write an experimental self-help book based on all these ideas. And, you know, when you're sort of people that you're field testing advice from is bank robbers and drug dealers in the world 
world's high, you know, the New York's highest paid dominatrix, that leads to some potentially interesting ways to field test, you know, what they've said. Do you feel like getting too much input on like the creative process or being around too many creative people is a hindrance to to you actually being creative and coming up with unique perspectives and ideas on things? So no, not necessarily. You see, this is the way I always describe it, right? Is you basically take different ingredients from different people and come up with your own recipes. The problem is that most people look at something that works and they're like, oh, well, you know, X person did this. So, you know, for example, this is a, this is an example that, you know, we can use for the podcast world. It's like John Lee Dumas ended up starting, you know, Entrepreneur on Fire. It's like, oh, it's a daily show. And, you know, within a matter of months, he's crushing it, making a ton of money. And suddenly you see all of these sort of copycat shows pop up, you know, all of which trying to do the exact same thing, following the format and, you know, sounding exactly the same. I think that there is this sort of, you know, idea that uh, I'm just going to follow this person. Like, so here, here's what I think is that if you, you know, imitation, you know, they say is the highest form of flattery, but only in the short run. In the long run, it's just laziness. Yeah, you want to mm-hmm. learn from somebody else. But it, and the other thing is you live, we're in a world full of noise. You do that, you're going to get washed up in, you know, sort of a sea of sameness. And that's the thing. Like, I pull different ideas from different people. So I think that it's really about mixing all of them. So no, I, I don't think that being exposed to so many ideas actually prevents my creativity. In fact, I, I think back to the analogy that Robert Greene once gave me. He said, you know, the analogy is biodiversity. The more species you have in an ecosystem, the richer that ecosystem. So like, you know, if you think of my brain as the ecosystem and the people that I talk to as the species, then, you know, the more creative it makes me. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I like to think about taking advice from a lot of different people and getting a bunch of different perspectives. And then you have to frame it in the lens that those people are coming from and mm-hmm. their experiences and the things that, that they've done well and the troubles they've had. And you take all of that with a bit of a grain of salt and know where someone is coming from to say like, okay, you know, this advice they gave me or this thing they said makes sense for them in that in their context, mm-hmm. but might not be kind of universally applicable. You mentioned uh, John Lee Dumas and there's several other people kind of in the online marketing world that do kind of similar things. And I think a lot of podcasters start out with something like that in mind. Yeah. You know, hey, I can, yeah, like you said, plug the mic into the computer, publish it on, you know, iTunes, whatever, Apple Podcast, and get a bunch of you know, downloads and sponsors the next month. Do you think that's why, like going into it with that mindset, do you think that's why people fail at podcasting at such a high rate? Or is there kind of something else to kind of why that doesn't, more people aren't successful with that kind of mindset? Okay, so there are a couple of things here. I mean, this is a, like a very layered question, which, you know, we could do an entire hour on just this question. So the thing that, that you have to realize is, is like, go look at stuff that started a year, year and a half ago, right? When everybody was like gung-ho, you'll see the feeds haven't been updated in months. I only know because I have, you know, podcasts that I've been on where that was the case or podcasts where, you know, friends had said that they do want to, even in my book launch, I had friends who had big audiences who were like, you know, on hiatus from their podcast. And, you know, many of them were like, oh, this is the last episode ever. And so that's one thing, right, is attrition. That's an inevitable sort of byproduct. The, The other thing is consistency. So this is the example I always think of when, you know, or I always kind of refer back to is, is you want your content to be a habit, not an interruption. So like, you know, think about it this way, right? For whatever, 13 years or however long it was on the air, every Friday night or every Thursday night, we all got in front of our TV and we knew that NBC was going to have friends on the air. Now, let's say that, you know, the writers of Friends said, you know, like, we're going to only write episodes when we feel like it. Well, they would have never built an audience because how could an audience know that, hey, you know, every Thursday night, this thing comes out. Now, how do you turn that into a habit? You'd produce consistently for years on end. 
I don't think that people really want to do the actual work of mastery, right? Because this is one of the things I said. I wrote this on Facebook the other day, which seemed to have really struck a chord with people. I said that, you know, don't build a personal brand, develop rare and valuable skills. And if you go and look sort of at the NPRs, right? Like you look at the Schenker Vedantums of the world, or you look at Ira Glass, or you look at Alex Blumberg, you look at Sarah Koenig. All that stuff was like years and years and years and years in the making of people working in public radio, getting really good at what they did, learning from people who are better than them and then basically launching you know this stuff like you know if you listen to the most recent episode of how i built this it's out it's with alex blumberg talking about his first job working at this american life for iron glass where he was just like a, a intern or a lackey or something like he didn't really do anything glamorous he wasn't alex blumberg and you know there's a lot of grunt work I, i've always thought that early podcasters should edit their own episodes i think it's a terrible idea for people to outsource their editing when they're starting out and the reason I, I believe that is because I think that editing my own episodes was one of those things that made me a substantially better interviewer because it forced me to go back and listen to every single thing I did multiple times. And I just kind of understood. I, the other thing is like, if you don't understand how something is put together, it makes no sense for you to outsource it. it you know, and the reality is that you can't succeed in a noisy ecosystem by creating something that sounds the same as everything else. That's, that's you know, sort of hard. And so those are the things that I, I think about, right? So I, I think the reason reason people fail is there are numerous reasons, but I think one of the big ones is that they're focused on metrics instead of mastery. Well, that's a big one. Yeah, I I, I can relate. I mean, as someone who runs a, a hosting and analytics platform, I think analytics is something that we have, a lot of people are, are interested in for sure. And yeah. the people who are the most interested in it have 30 downloads an episode, which is really interesting because those are the people that should just be out there doing more of it. <laughs> exactly. So this is the paradox, right? I mean, I don't think I, I very rarely look at my analytics on your website. You know, it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm busy producing content. It's this whole stupid idea that refreshing your analytics is going to make them go up. It's like, no, what makes your, you know, analytics go up is creating something worth listening to. But that's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, 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 that that's an even, I mean, like you said, this is a whole nother kind of discussion, but I mean, for folks who are, are really just starting out, I, I think that one of the really intimidating things about creating any kind of content and, and podcasting maybe in particular, because there's a limited amount of feedback you can get or limited ways that you can get feedback from podcasting, because mm -hmm. like we talk and people listen yeah. and there's not like this discussion. It's not a Facebook group or something like that. Yeah. What are what are some things you might recommend to people who are just starting out to say like, okay, stick with your guns, create the content you want, and like the, the people will come in the end. That's kind of what I'm I'm getting from you is like if if the content is that good, it will all work out in the end. Um, is there any more kind of like specifics you would guide people to on that? Okay, well, so there are a lot of things that I think would be insane for me to tell you to reverse engineer because there are a lot of factors here that nobody wants to admit play a role. Like luck played a role in, in me getting to this point. Like I started in 2009. Like I, unless I, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm like reluctant to teach a podcasting course because what am I going to say? Hey, you know, get yourself a DeLorean, go back in time and start in 2009. Like that's not feasible. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, okay, I can't help you reverse engineer that. Or hey, hope that Glenn Beck finds your book on Amazon when he's, you know, bruising it one day. Like these are all sort of weird inflection points. And so for me, like the only parts of this that I can actually reverse engineer 
are the process parts. So as far as feedback goes, you know, this is a complicated one You because you're right. Like, how do you get feedback when you have nobody listening? I was really lucky in that I got some positive reinforcement early on from a very small group of people. It's, yeah, I think of, of you know, Chris Gillibo had this sort of idea of what he called a small army strategy. I even wrote a book about this called The Small Army Strategy, which I think is more relevant today now when you're competing for so much attention than it was when I wrote this book. So the idea was that, you know, if you have five people in your audience, you treat them like the most important person, people in the world, because they are like, they're the ones who are choosing to listen to you, you know, then, you know, and with podcasts, you may not have their email addresses, whatever it is. So you go and you ask friends, you ask family, you ask anybody who will give you feedback to listen. You know, I mean, it's that joke of, Hey, you know, your first reader on your blog is your mom. And you know, it's funny. I think my mom to this day still reads my stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's your earliest readers are anybody who will talk to you. So, so that I think that the idea that this is another one of those things, right? Is you don't start building an audience by interrupting strangers on the internet. Like that's not how an audience get, gets built. My earliest sort of blog readers were my family members, people that went to Pepperdine, some classmates of mine from Berkeley, my study abroad coordinator from Pepperdine, and that's it. Like five or six people who used to read this stuff. There's a guy who hired me to be, he was my first freelance client. He hired me for 50 bucks to come in and teach him a few things I knew about public speaking and social media, which I didn't know much at that point. So I think it's, you know, what I would say is, okay, if you do have anybody there, treat them like the most important people in the world and then go out and actively seek feedback. I mean, one of the big pieces of feedback that led me to start the podcast was from my friend Sid Savaro, who said, he's like, you're a much better interviewer than you are a writer. And I think you'd be more successful if you actually took this interview series and spun it out into a separate site. So, you know, I think that there's that whole thing, right? It's, I wish I could tell you that there's like some sort of formula. And the thing is, the formula is super seductive. And there are tons of people who will sell it. Just go look at the sales pages for any podcasting course. It's like, here's my you know, six step formula and how I'm going to tell you how to set this up, you know, and of course the person, this is one of those things that I, I think is something people need to consider, right? There's these, all these people sort of saying, oh, everybody should start a podcast. Well, yeah. Okay. If somebody who has a course on podcasts is saying everybody should start a podcast, then maybe you should consider context there. It's kind of like those right. people who say, oh, everybody should be on this app. And it's like, well, of course you think everybody should be on the app. You have a massive equity stake in that company, you know? So I, I think that it's important to consider yeah. those kinds of things. And, and if anybody is looking for a shortcut, then they shouldn't start at all. That's my advice. Let's just sum it up pretty simply. There are no shortcuts to this. You guys crossed a, a pretty big uh, chasm recently uh, to to receive some funding for your podcast. Talking yeah. about like ways, different ways that people can monetize their podcast. You know, sponsorships or whatever. You guys received some funding from PodFund uh -huh. to just create more awesome content, right? Well, I mean, not, not just to create more awesome content, you know, and this is one of those things that I think that people, I remember the day that PodFun announced the fund because I was watching, you know, what was happening in the Facebook group for podcasters and the conversations were kind of insane because people were just talking about what they would do with the money. And the problem is with that, it's like, oh, well, if you don't know what you would do with the money, nobody's going to invest money in you. You know, like I'd been really lucky in that I interviewed a lot of venture capitalists. I also, I mean, we ran it as a business and, you know, it had its challenges even running it as a business. So I understood that if you were going to get funded, you had to make a business case. It wasn't just going to be, hey, create awesome content and we'll give you money. You know, it was like, how are you going to generate money and how are you going to produce a return? So, you know, I understood this from having worked, you know, like I said, having had mentors who have invested in companies, having talked to literally every sort of, you know, person under the sun on the podcast itself, many of who are investors. And I, I had an idea of what these people look for in terms of a pitch deck. Like I went in with a pitch deck and said, okay, this is what we project as our financial 
financials. These are our financials before. These are the ways that we envision making money. And these are the things that we will use the funding for. And this is our team. And, you know, I, I literally, I treated it like I was going to apply at Y Combinator for funding from a VC, not, oh, I'm, you know, people are funding your personal art project. So not, you know, as much as I wish they were like, here's some money to create awesome content. No, it's here's some money. How are you going to return it multiple times over? Yeah. Has taking the investment from PodFund changed how you run the business? Yeah, absolutely. In good ways. And in a lot of good ways, one, it holds us accountable to a whole other standard. But the other thing, the big thing, the reason we took the funding was because it allows us to stop thinking short term. It allowed us to basically have a much more long-term perspective and, and think through initiatives. Because, you know, I was just finished reading Simon Sinek's new book, The Infinite Game. And, you know, when you're struggling to survive month to month, you know, you're like, oh, if we're going to run out of cash, that makes it hard to have a long-term perspective and think strategically. So you just kind of do whatever you can to get cash in the door. You take any advertiser who will pay you money. And, and you know, we, there were a lot of initiatives we couldn't pursue because we just didn't have the funding. So recently we hired a community manager, you know, because we grew very organically almost entirely through word of mouth. And we thought, you know, it's time we activate this word of mouth component because if we do this right, we saw what, you know, the hustle and the skim and all those folks had done with their word of mouth component. And so, yeah, we we basically, you know, hired a community manager as one of our listeners who's been amazing. And we're building an entire network on Mighty Networks, like a private social network specifically for our listeners, uh, mainly because we want to get the hell off of Facebook because, you know, we want to be somewhere where we don't have to pay to play and people actually see our damn content. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a whole, that's another whole another episode. But yeah, I mean, I think communities around your podcast is by far the most powerful kind of avenue people can take to yeah. continue that discussion. Well, not only that, you know, one of the things that we want is we want to get to a point where we can generate subscription revenue from the community. Because you, you think about it, right? Even the biggest media companies in the world, like the New York Times, are, you know, looking at advertising and saying, okay, you know what, we don't want to be dependent on advertisers, you know, entirely. And, and the biggest issue with advertisers in general, when you look at it from like a New York Times or, you know, standpoint, or even, you know, mainstream media, is that it's it's very hard to have like, – you can't have truly objective journalism when there's advertiser interest involved. And, you know, for me, and this is something I've held to and, you know, we paid for it in terms of metrics is that I was, as I said, I will never compromise the editorial in order to hit the numbers. Yeah. Like I'll take an interesting story over a famous person any day. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that like your, the, the growth of your podcast and the success is, is a reflection of that, right? You get, you tell interesting stories, have compelling content and that that drives the success of the podcast, which then allows you to do interesting things with monetization and subscriptions and sell advertising spots, but not the other way around. Yeah, exactly. We took a small amount of investment earlier this year as well. And, and I absolutely agree on the long-term thinking aspect of what you're talking about. And now we think in terms of years and not weeks or months, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is really nice. And I think we're making much better decisions for our customers and like the long-term life of the business. So yeah. it's been, it's been a positive thing for us. Very cool. Yeah. Talking about like uh, selling subscriptions, this is somewhere that, that as a business Castos is, is definitely looking and, and are hoping to have something out by the end of the year around this without kind of giving away the secret sauce. What is kind of the general plan for your show in terms of subscriptions and, and selling subscriptions? You know, I think that the, the thing with, with subscriptions, right, is that, so let, let's say that you, you, you are selling subscriptions. I, I think there's this idea that, you know, you're going to basically go and, you know, it's like, oh, I'm just going to put a bunch of people in here and they're just going to pay for, you know, whatever your goodwill is. Like one thing we realized was that community manager position was like, this is a job, like somebody needs to do it and somebody needs to own it. It is a straight up like OKR. 
it has to be because like, you know, I've seen how much work is going into it. There's no way that it can be like, oh, I'm, you know, the host of the podcast and I'll just do this thing like, you know, on the side of it. It doesn't work like that. Like you will not succeed like that. I, I saw it, it, you know, like anything else, it it's strategic. It, it involves, you know, really thinking through and having a plan. The other thing is, 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 you know, what is the value that you're providing to people inside of the community? Like, you know, so Tim Ferriss's, you know, no sponsors experiment was a failure, but then you go and look at what people got, you know, and, and I'm sure he probably made money off of it, but because he's Tim Ferriss. But then you looked at it and you're like, okay, well, there's not a lot here that's, you know, really worth whatever he was, you know, asking for. And so anyways, yeah, that's, that's the gist of it. It's, you know, it's still in the works, yeah. to be honest. So, you know, part of it is like, we we're looking at the possibility of taking all of our online courses and moving them into that to the point where it's like, okay, you don't just get, you know, the, the community, but everything we create from this point forward as a course, you not only end up supporting the podcast, but then you also get all our courses too. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Kind of generally from a, a content and kind of strategy perspective, looking forward with the funding and different monetization things you have kind of going on, what is the what is the future for the unmistakable creative look like for the next year or two? Well, I think right now it, it's, you know, increasing the size of the audience and hence, you know, increasing ad revenue, but alongside that also building this community aspect of it, really kind of pushing. I think that, you know, we want to get our listeners to the point where, you know, they're, but I would like our listeners to be our most effective source of marketing, not advertising, you know, uh, in terms of growth, like, you know, because if they do their job, you know, and, and the thing is, it's not like, you know, we're like holding a gun to their head and say, hey, you've got to spread the word, but they've, they've always been our biggest advocates. You know, it's, it's, these people are the ones that really make things happen for us. And so we knew we're like, okay, if we start this program, it's going to take some time to build, but you know, if we do it right, it could be really valuable and have a pretty substantial payoff. And, and so, you know, I think that that's one of those things. And, and, you know, we, like I said, we hired a community manager who was really working hard to, to basically learn, you know, everything she needs to about how to properly build a community. And it's funny because she's like not even a social media person. She's a civil engineer. So we've been, that's, you know, one focus of it. We're planning a conference that's coming, that, that's in April of, of this coming year. It's called the Architects of Reality. And you can find out about it at thearchitectsofreality.com. We're bringing, you know, former podcasts together to speak at the event and inviting our listeners. And then, uh, you know, another thing that we're doing is we're, we're playing with a new format of the show, which is more of an NPR style approach of, you know, instead of taking, you know, a person, let's focus on an idea. And we just released the very first one, you know, this week, our last week is called The Life-Changing Magic of meeting people in person. You know, this one was kind of a shameless plug for the event, but we also wanted to see, it's like, okay, let us show you that we can do a hell of a lot more than do interviews. And I remember the feedback from a couple of our friends was like, wow, this sounds like Radio Lab in This American Life. I'm like, great. That's... That's a, you know, that's a great awesome. compliment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's gutsy to change the format of a podcast with how many episodes? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're not going to abandon the interviews. We just wanted to introduce a new format because I think that, you know, we, we want here's, you know, uh, 50 Cent and Robert Greene wrote a book together called The 50th Law. And one of the things they talk about is the need to continually reinvent yourself. You know, you don't want to be a one-trick pony. And to us, like, yeah. we've always had other capabilities up our sleeves. And we're like, okay, well, let's show people what we can do and show them we can do far more than, you know, an interview. Like, we've got all these really interesting things we can do. And the other thing is that, you know, for the person who doesn't want to listen to an interview, that opens up a whole other audience for us. Yep, I love it. Last question. You mentioned the the tool that you're using to kind of base your your kind of internal private network or social media network on. Can you uh, share 
share more about kind of how you made that decision and you know, obviously the the why to get off Facebook is clear, but no, no. So, so we made that decision because of a podcast guest who told us it was Cal Newport who had talked about this sort of you know what he called long tail social media, and he wrote a lengthy blog post about it. But he did this thing where he he just meant he dropped it, you know, and said, hey, you know, like the neat thing about this is that it's so it's social media that allows you to meet people you know from your community in person because you can see who's nearby to you. And one of the things they encourage you is, oh, you know, don't post here more than like twice a week, which is is funny because it's the polar opposite of Facebook, which is like you know create as much content as possible. It's funny because Ryan Holiday the other day was just telling me, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, people wonder why they're not productive, but they're working for Twitter for free for six hours a day by tweeting constantly, yeah. you know, and then people do the same thing with Facebook. And so, you know, Cal told us about it and we knew that if we had a community, if we were going to launch this ambassador program, we needed a tool and it kind of fit the bill for all of them. It kind of was like, oh, we can launch the ambassador program, have a community component and run this network in here. And so that's where we're at. And we just launched the ambassador program about a week ago or actually this week. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely link to that in the, in the show notes for this episode. Srini for, for anybody who kind of wants to learn more about the ambassador program or what you guys are doing with the show, where's the best place to, to connect? So you can go to unmistakablecreative.com. And then I think if I remember correctly for the ambassador program, it's just unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Let me check to make sure that that, yeah, it's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Awesome. Srini Rao from The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Podcast Hackers. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. This goes a long way towards helping spread the word about the show to other podcasters just like you. Until next time, happy podcasting.